It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio and... Happy birthday, WGN. For those of you WGN listeners this week, you know we're having quite a birthday party. 100 years since WGN became, was it, was, was born and it's oldest radio station, I believe, in America. I like to think of it as the best radio station in America. It's the best radio station in America because of you listeners. Those of you who put up with me every morning as you have for now almost well, 22 years, it's, I'm in my 22nd year, it's, it's because of you that I have the opportunity to talk to you each Sunday morning. 100 years, though, for WGN, and the Tribune did a, a really, really nice piece on WGN recently and talked about its evolution to where it is today. And as I think about the Great Outdoors show, which I believe is among the longest-running radio shows anywhere in America, we're in our 52nd year. I can't help but think about my predecessor, who I knew so well, Bill Cullerton, who had the the helm of WGN for 20 years, and who passed the microphone to me, and who would have ever thought that I could be speaking to you for 22 years. But thank you for listening. Uh, I know many of you are longtime WGN listeners, and the fact that this station has led the way in so many ways for 100 years is is a real credit to to all of you and those who came before us at the show. It's also a credit to Mary Boyle, who currently heads WGN and radio, and it's just, I feel so privileged, so very privileged to speak to you every Sunday morning, and thank you for tuning me in, and so happy birthday, WGN. Speaking of longtime leaders in the conservation world, and by the way, I do think WGN is the leader, the outdoor voice, not only of Chicago, but of America. Uh, it's the most listened, the Great Outdoors show is the most broadly listened to show on the outdoors in America. It has been for a long time. And again, that's, that's because of all of you listening. Uh, Ray Scott, he created the Super Bowl of bass fishing. He died at 88 years old. Who would have ever thought that a guy who started the Bassmasters would have a huge obituary in the New York Times. That's just how influential Ray Scott was. He turned bass fishing into a professional sport, created the Bassmaster Classic and other tournaments. There's nobody like him. You look at all the bass boats and you think of Johnny Morris and Bass Pro Shops and all the tournaments and all the gear and all the endorsements. It goes back to Ray Scott, who was an insurance salesman and who in the mid-60s said, we ought to have a tournament, except he had a heck of a southern drawl when he said that. I won't try to emulate him. He created Bassmaster, and he created Bass, Bass Angling Society, went on to be an enormous success on TV, TNN, ESTNN, yeah, ESTN. But he did something, if you may recall, and I was involved in it. But before I get to that, his first tournament was at Beaver Lake in Arkansas, 106 anglers paid $100 each, and they competed over three days for $5,000 in prizes. 
That was in 1967. And by the way, at that point in time, they killed every fish they caught. It was not catch and release fishing, which it is now. These guys came into lakes and they hammered the fish. It didn't take very long for them to be quite unpopular with the locals. The fishermen were making a little bit of money. Ray Scott was beginning to put together what became a huge enterprise, hundreds of millions of dollars. But the fish were getting creamed. So it actually was Ray Scott who invented the live well in a boat that would keep fish alive so they could be placed into the recirculating tank in the boats. And then when they brought them to weigh in, they weighed them and the fish were put back in the tanks and then they were immediately released back into the lakes. There certainly was mortality involved and there still is mortality involved, but it greatly decreased it. So Bassmaster early on went from being a catch and kill tournament, which wouldn't last very long, particularly with the skills of some of these professionals. Dan Basor, I think of my great friend Dan Basor, who's been on the air many times, has the greatest collection of antique fishing memorabilia in the world. Many of you have seen him at sports shows, Milwaukee and elsewhere, Chicago, for decades. Dan Basor used to be on the professional tournament tour. So anyway, if you think back a few years ago, we're in the mid-1990s, and the Bassmaster Classic came to Chicago, came to Soldier Field. I don't know if how many of you were there. My guess is not many because it was an abysmal failure. WGN Radio was one of the sponsors of it. And it's not because of WGN. I don't think anyone would have come in if it hadn't been for WGN Radio. I remember uh, Bob Collins on the air with me talking about the Bassmaster Classic coming and the bass boats. And we had Bill Cullerton, obviously a huge proponent of fishing on Lake Michigan. In fact, Bill Cullerton, along with uh, a few others, was the um, Dr. Tanner were the reason we have salmon in the Great Lakes. But Bill was a big proponent of, of bass fishing. And when they said they wanted to bring the Bassmaster Classic to Chicago in the mid-90s, Bill said, I remember him saying this to me and to Mayor Daly. Well, I guess we're going to find out if there are any, any bass in the lake. The locals down at Henry's in particular and Glenn Shirley's, who's long since out of business, but Henry's is still very much there. The south side of just a great local fishing outlet retailer and friend to so many of us. They said there are a lot of bass in the lake and people have been catching smallmouth for, for quite a while. I didn't know it. Bill Collerton had never caught one. We, we went. And by goodness, we caught a few smallmouth bass. And Bill and I went to Montgomery, Alabama, where Bassmasters was located. And we said to Helen Severe, who at the time was running BASS, bring the tournament to Chicago. We have bass at the southern end of Lake Michigan. And they looked at the idea of bringing the Bassmaster Classic to a major metropolitan area. They had not been able to done that. It had never been out of the south. And Helen Severe... Ray Scott said, this is tremendous. We're bringing it to Chicago. Well, it was, a, it was just a complete failure. Chicago wasn't ready for the Bassmasters Classic. The Bassmaster wasn't ready for Chicago. And here in 2022, you know, well over 25 years later, I don't think we're ready for it now. You may remember Soldier Field was the place of the weigh-in. You, you, could, have put, <laughs> you could have put everyone who came to Soldier Field, you could have put them in a in a high school gym. And I remember when Governor Ryan, this was when he was uh, beginning to have some, some problems, legal problems, he got a hold of the microphone to open the, the way in and uh, 
he was so resoundingly booed by the 1,500 or so people that were there that he couldn't, he couldn't make his speech. It was a total disaster. And, of course, years have passed, so nobody exactly remembers what he said or whatever. But I do remember this. When it came time for the weigh-in, there was just nobody there. Uh, and the tournament was over. They left Chicago. They had the convention at, at, at McCormick Place. And uh, I remember talking to Helen Severe after it, and she said, well, the North isn't ready for Bassmasters. I think we're going to stay where we've done well, and I think they have. So that's, that's my story on the Bassmasters Classic, and there's some people I know who are invo- still involved with WGN who were intimately involved with that, and I do think if it hadn't been for WGN, uh, it would have been an even worse, worse showing. But I, I think about that when Bill Cullerton and I and, the, and Mayor Daly said, let's bring the Bassmaster Classic to Chicago. And, and we actually thought it would be a huge success. Um, we just uh, Chicago was not a Bassmaster town, and it does a lot better. And, you know, it does a lot better in places like Birmingham and Mobile and Little Rock and places where bass fishing is huge. And today, there's great bass fishing in Lake Michigan, just as there was then. So I'll be back in just a moment. When I come back, so Ray Scott, before I leave, so Ray Scott really made the bass fishing industry. And Johnny Morris, for all his success at Bass Pro Shops, and he's just been fantastic for the fishing world. Without Ray Scott, I don't know that Bass Pro Shops actually happens. But Ray Scott created the world of of bass fishing. He was a great friend of President George H.W. Bush, and he was a fantastic conservationist for fishing because he really pioneered, after his initial tournaments, he pioneered catch and release fishing for bass. And and we know what kind of quality bass fishing we have around America today because of catch and release fishing. So Ray Scott, he popularized it, and then he became a conservation leader in catch and release and all kinds of things. So anyway, he's certainly going to be missed. He passed away recently at the age of 88 years old. We'll miss you, Ray. You were a leader in the industry. I'll be back in just a moment. And when I come back, how about a little story about Raven and magpies? It's kind of interesting, firsthand. This is Charlie Potter and the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert, sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are, communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you so much for being with me. I hope that you enjoyed the first part of the show. And if you're, if you're just joining me now, I said at the top, happy birthday to WGN, 
100 years and talked about Ray Scott at 88 years old passing away, the founder of Bassmasters and one of the great fishing conservationists in history. So ravens and magpies, what do they have in common? They both steal a lot of eggs, and they both are a bane to nesting birds. Magpies are known to be just a voracious predator of, of all kinds of nesting birds, ground nesting birds, tree nesting birds. You name the species, and magpies are going to be in there raiding the nest and taking the eggs. Well, what happens when it's turnaround is fair play? And it, I watched this happen in Mother Nature the other day, and as I've said, Mother Nature is beautiful. And Mother Nature's cruel. So there's a large magpie nest in a tree that I've been spying being built all spring. And the call of a magpie is not the prettiest call, particularly when it goes off about 5 o'clock in the morning. It's like an alarm. So lo and behold, I watched the other day as the magpie sitting on this, they make huge nests. Sitting, I have no idea how many eggs is way up in the tree, sitting in a nest, and all of a sudden, not a crow, but a raven arrives and kicks, and the magpie's squawking and squawking, and the next thing you know, there are five magpies in the air circling, circling the nest, and the next thing you know, the raven is in the nest having a meal of the magpie eggs. And there I am watching this, thinking, it's incredible. Turn around. I laughed in a sense because turnaround's fair play, as I said a moment ago. And the magpie maybe got its comeuppance for what it has done to goodness knows how many nests it's raided. But those five magpies did everything they could to drive that raven away without success. And the raven, I'm pretty sure, destroyed the entire nest. The magpie, later that day, single magpie, I assume it was the, the female came back to the nest and squawked and flew away. And I, four days later, I still haven't seen that magpie, but there's also no alarm clock going off at about 5.10 in the morning, not too far from my window. So I, I watch stories like that, and I watch things like those stories. I watch that unfold in episodes like it. And it just reminds me how, how nature is totally interconnected and it's absolutely the survival of the fittest. There's, there's no such thing as nature being kind. Nature, nature, as I've said often, nature is cruel. Nature is not about being nice to other animals. Nature is all about survival. The smaller you are, the harder it is to survive until you work your way up to the very top of the food chain, whether you're a wolf or whether you're a swordfish or a great white shark, you got to be at the very top, or a grizzly bear, you got to be at the very top of the food chain where everything is trying to eat you. And as I saw the other day, magpie, magpies are not at the top of the food chain. The ravens aren't at the top of the food chain. Bald eagles, golden eagles, in, in, in predator terms, those are at the top of the food chain. So in this case, the magpie had happened to it what it does to so many other nesting birds, but that's all, that's all part of nature. And again, we, we, I think about the, the piping plover, that, that the pair that were in Chicago for a number of years, and now, now they're not in how Monty, uh, as it was named, and you should, never, you should just never name 
birds or animals, because at the end of the day, birds and animals in the wild are birds and animals. We, 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 we can't, we can't humanize them, but Monty, as we called it, of course, came to Montrose beach for a number of years. And they raised along with its mate, they raised piping plover each year. And this year the female did not show up. Monty showed up. And then while they were watching Monty, Monty took a breath and just tipped over and died. And if they hadn't gone and picked Monty up to take him for to be evaluated, Monty would have been eaten by a seagull uh, laying there or, or saw her turn or, or some other scavenger bird. Crows would have come in and, and eaten Monty. And, and people would have been horrified because we're not accustomed to nature. And just, just for a moment, maybe I should just say we think about nature, but we're really not accustomed to watching the ugly parts of nature. And in the case of Monty, I mean, millions of people followed this piping plover. It was a fantastic story. And then it died. And in this case, we stopped nature from consuming it as it would have done. And we also did not see what what happens to probably 90% or more of the piping plovers. They die in migration. They, They either get caught in storm. They're eaten by predators. I mean, everything is a predator on a piping plover whether you're sitting on a nest and you're a fox or a coyote or whether you're in the air and a peregrine falcon takes you out, nature, nature is absolutely about the survival of the fittest. And watching the ravens and magpies at it the other day drove that home one more time. I have just a moment left, and I'm just going to spend the last 30 seconds talking about um, the drought situation, which you're all hearing about in the West. And elsewhere, it's, it's still gripping parts of the prairies. It's a lot better than it was. But I'm going to come talk next week, I promise you. I'm going to talk about a headline that, to me, just doesn't seem possible. The headline screamed, worst drought in 1,200 years. Well, first of all, I, I don't know. I guess we do carbon dating or something. But second part of that story is, well, 1,200 years ago, what happened? There was a worse drought? We want to hear about that because... What we're seeing now has been repeated before. It just may not be very often. I'll be back next week with much more on the Great Outdoors show. I'm going to talk about salmon. I'm going to talk a little bit about the story about carbon dating droughts and a ballot measure, which is really important in Cook County, which I think we all want to get behind. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. Have a great week and the Great Outdoors.